We're going to be in John today. Uh, we are in a series um, called Encounters. Uh, a buddy of mine, as he's a preacher, pastor, he called me and said, hey, um, doing this series, I want you to jump in. I want you to help me with it. I was like, tell me about it. He said, it's about the encounters with Jesus, different people in scriptures who encountered pe- different people uh, and how it changed them. And I was like, dude, I'm in. Let's do this. Like, let's, let's, I love this. And so uh, we've been in this series. Uh, last week, he, he was uh, in a different because uh, of our 10-year celebration, which, by the way, was amazing. Uh, uh, 10-year celebration, uh, yeah, uh, was great. And uh, this week, though, uh, we're back in, and we're, uh, talking, we're gonna be talking about this... I got, look, it, it's from John 4, and it's the story of the woman at the well, and I'm trying to contain myself because it's truly one of my absolute... Like, I just... I love it so much. I've preached on it actually before, uh, but we're going to see, uh, hopefully in a, in a slightly different way uh, this morning. Um, you know what, let's just read it. Uh, this is John, uh, a guy who traveled around with Jesus, uh, and he writes this story. Uh, I, I just want to read it to you. Uh, so when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, not this John, John the Baptist, a different John. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So there's this geographic detail that Jesus is, or this political, actually, this socio-political detail that Jesus' disciples were, were baptizing more people than even John had been, and so this is getting out, and Jesus is like, you know what, I'm gonna retreat and he goes, he's, he's leaving, and, and that's the detail of why he ends up where he ends up, and that's what's important in this story. So he leaves, uh, and he uh, left Judea, uh, departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria, all right? So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to the well to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews having no dealings with, had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well's deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as is it his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water I give will well up, will come in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. 
The woman said to him, uh, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, uh, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, Yeah, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who has told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that all the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for what you did not labor. Others have labored and you entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. This is a scene in the story of Jesus' life uh, early on. And, uh, okay, here's why I love it so much. Here's why I love it so much. Uh, because it's crazy weird, right? It's just crazy weird. I think I grew up hearing, and I want to be very careful that this may not have been what I taught. I realize now in my, uh, I, I realize now looking back that what I picked up was not what, always what was told to me. <laughs> I may have heard things that weren't said. Uh, that's just the way that we are as humans. Uh, but what I, what I heard, I think, was almost, I don't know, I think for good reason and good intention, maybe, it was almost this two-dimensional view of Jesus and how he acts. I, I, I don't know if that makes any sense. I, I think that some of the, I don't know, just the strangeness of his encounters, 
uh, we missed. And this is weird. John sets it up as like, it's weird because Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. But I think that's just to mask like, the total weirdness of the whole situation. There's so many weird things that happen in this. Like I love the scene in the end when the disciples come back with food and Jesus is like, I got food. They're like, hey, you should eat. Like we went to get food. Like we left this town. We weren't gonna buy food in this town. It's a Samaritan town. We don't have anything to do with Samaritans. We're certainly not gonna eat their food. So you send us over to this town. They come back and they're like, I don't know what's happening right now. He's talking to this lady. We left him here by himself. And like, so here, eat this food. And Jesus is like, I got a food you don't know about. And the disciples are like, then why'd you send us into town? Like, they're like, I just like, it's just a weird scene. They can't figure it out. They're like, what's happening? Jesus is like, I got food you don't know about. They're like, who brought him food? Like, it's just this crazy thing. There's all of these weird moments in this story all the way through. So this African bishop, uh, Augustine, he said early on, like fourth century, he said, uh, about this passage, I love it so much. He said uh, that in this passage, we see a strong Jesus and a weak Jesus. He's referring to the fact that John, just a page over, never even hides the divinity of Christ. Like he opens with the divinity of Christ. Here's how just a page over, John has described this man. In the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus. And the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. He came to his own people, but his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Or became flesh, dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Strong Jesus. Made everything. Everything that exists, you, me, the sun, the planets, the everything. Made through him, for him, by him. The very image of God, God himself, come to earth strong, strong, strong. And now he's sitting beside a well because he's tired from a long walk. Weak, exhausted, worn out, strong and weak. He says this, Augustine says this, the strength of Christ created thee. The weakness of Christ created thee anew. He fashioned us by his strength. He sought us in his weakness. God become flesh, worn out, sitting by a well in the middle of the day talking to a Samaritan woman. It's just weird, man. It's just weird that this is the scene that John paints for us. And so uh, what's going on is John's not being weird for just the sake of being weird. He's, he's highlighting things. This, this happens in a part of the world that's, to this very, today, it's like a highly contested part of the world. Uh, it is in Palestine, city on the West Bank was where this would have taken place. Uh, it also goes way back in time, right? This would have been, uh, Abraham would have made his first sacrifice in the land really close to this place. Uh, it is here that the very promise of the land was first given, that Abraham would have a promised land. It was really near this place. For a long time, this has been a very important piece of property, and it's, that's where this scene takes place. And in this scene, Jesus does several things. He talks about and reveals the free gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he talks about like triune worship and, and even world missions. Uh, and he teaches them very, very clearly 
to this woman whose name we don't even know. Like, what, who, like, why her? Why is Jesus pouring out all of this time and effort into this woman who society says he shouldn't even be talking to? Right? The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews for worship reasons. She even says, like, hey, like, we worship here on this mountain, but the Jews say we can't worship anywhere but over there in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus kind of like weighs in on that debate. But also, just, they just, because of some political things, some, some separating, the, the Samaritans didn't really believe all the things that the Jews believed. They had kind of taken part of those scriptures and, and changed them and only, only held to a certain part of them. So the Jews were just considered them just like the worst of the worst because they kind of pretended like they were part of them, but they weren't. They, they would have rather them been just like, you know, completely other than pretend to be like us, right? And so they just hated each other. And so he's not even supposed to be talking to this woman. And he reveals to her all this amazing stuff. Like, who is she that God, that, that Jesus reveals all this stuff? And John, who is a very clever writer, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, I think he's doing something intentional. He's setting up a contrast. Actually, a compare and a contrast. So you have this scene where he's talking to this outsider, this woman who by cultural standards of the day would have been considered a sinner, right? She's living with a man. She's had five husbands before the guy she's living with. She's a Samaritan. Definitely by the religious authorities would have been considered just like somebody who doesn't know, right? Here's the thing, though. Like one chapter before, there's this other scene with Jesus that's just as weird. All right, here we go. So John 3, I'm just going to read this to you. So, uh, 3 1. So there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, so the, culturally, this dude's completely different, right? Like, this guy is the guy. He's a Pharisee, which is, he's a religious ruler. He's, this guy's done all the things, right? Like, all of the right things. He's done, this, he's the guy. Like, if you were wondering, like, who's the good guy, you'd have been like, Nicodemus, he's a good dude. He does all the religious things. So uh, there's a guy, Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, this man came to Jesus by night, all right? So here's the, con- like, this guy's come by night. The other, other's the middle of the day. The sixth hour, middle of the day, noon, right? Super hot. This guy comes in at night. Rabbi, super interesting that he would say that, right? This guy's a religious, Jesus doesn't have any formal training like he had, but he shows him this honor and this respect of recognizing that he's a teacher. So he comes to him at night, probably because he didn't want anybody else to see him, and he goes to him and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God. Nobody can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, which is a phrase we're familiar with. If you grew up in the South, you grew up in America, you could, since Jimmy Carter, really, you've heard the phrase, Jimmy Carter made it famous. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jimmy Carter's one that brought this up. Actually, it was in the Bible before then, but Jimmy Carter called himself a born again Christian. People are like, what does that even mean? It comes from this verse. Born again. And Jesus says to him, born again. So we're kind of used to this phrase. Nicodemus was not. And he says, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Which, by the way, is probably the appropriate response to someone telling you to be born again. Like, what? Like, I mean, like, that's at the point. Like, if somebody said that to you, you, you would just back away slowly, Right? It's nice to meet you. Spend a good time. You just leave because it's a weird thing to say. But he recognizes this guy's been doing all these miracles. So he's like, maybe I don't understand. So he sticks around. 
can you enter a second time? This mother's womb be born again. And Jesus answered, Julie, Julie, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be marveled that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be true? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus in both of these scenarios, in both of these situations, he, oh, he's so good, right? So these, these, these two people, could, the woman from at the well and Nicodemus could not have been more different in their societal standing, in their religious standing, could not have been more different. They both come to him, though. They're both, actually, the way they find him is different. One of them comes to him at night. One of them just stumbles across him in the middle of the day. And they both come to him, and there's these questions. And here's what they share in common. Jesus treats them both as if they were just spiritually inept. Right? He, he treats them both as like, hey, you don't know. Like, you need life. You need this thing. That thing that you're looking for that's just out of reach. Right? Nicodemus has all the things. He has all the status. He's done all the living. He's done all the things right. He has all of that. And he still comes to this rabbi, this teacher, comes to Jesus and says, you know what? There's something just out of reach. I've been doing all these things and there's still something right out of reach. What do I have to do? And Jesus is like, what do you have to do? You have to be born again. That's not what he says to her, though. She, she's in this conversation. She begins to ask questions, all this stuff. And Jesus says to her, he's like, hey, you know what? We're going to get answers to all this stuff. And he, Jesus is like, hey, how about this? How about you go get your husband and bring him to me? Jesus does this all the time. Uh, he knows the people that he's talking to so well. To the man, there's another story. Jesus, this rich guy comes to Jesus, and he's like, hey, what do I need to do? And Jesus is like, you know what you need to do to get eternal life? You just got to keep all the laws and the commandments. That's what you have to do. And the man's like, yeah, dude, I've done that. I do that every day. I do it. And Jesus goes, okay, well, here's what you need to do. Uh, You need to give away everything that you have to the poor and then come follow me. And it says that the man went away sad because he was really rich. To a rich man, Jesus says, you need to set aside your money. To Nicodemus, a man who was, had the right pedigree, right? He was born People, he was a Jewish, he was a people, he, was, he, he had all of the right pedigree. Uh, Jesus says, yeah, all that's worthless. You have to, have to be born again. Just because you're a doesn't mean anything. And to a woman who has been in a relationship after relationship after relationship, he says, I need you to bring me your, bring me your husband. He always asks us for this thing that we have in our life that makes us feel okay. He always says, hey, listen, I can give you all of these things. I can give you new life. I can give you, you can be born again. Hey, I can give you living water that will give you life. I can give you all of these things. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to set down the thing that you think has been giving you life. There's this passage in... Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. Uh, Jeremiah 2. And he says this amazing thing. God speaking through Jeremiah talks to his people and he says, I've got, I got a couple things against you. He says, people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. 
He says, listen, I'm the one that gives life. I am the source of life, living water, water that moves, that flows, a spring. I am that, and instead, you continually come over here and you try to dig holes and put water in it and go, I'm gonna drink from this. This is where I'm gonna get my life from. If he was rich, he's drinking out of the cistern of wealth. The guy that was proud of his heritage, he's drinking, I'm gonna be okay because of this. The woman whose relationship after relationship, she was trying to, trying, to, trying to maintain and just get by with that, he says, I need you to bring me that. I need you to bring me the thing that you're drinking out of that you think is giving you life. Acceptance. Hey, if everybody liked me, if everybody just liked me, and, and if you pay attention, hey, one of the best books I've ever read, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, uh, not best biographies, books, Bruce Springsteen's uh, autobiography. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan. At least I wasn't before this book. And you know what he said in this book, the reason it fascinated me so much, is that he said that he was only happy when he was on stage. He only felt love when he was on stage. Only when he was on stage and people were screaming at him did he even feel, it was the only time he felt close to how he felt when his grandmother would hold him as a child. And that was what he was constantly seeking and he would give them anything. It's a cistern he was drinking out of, trying to find life. Fascinating. We are constantly trying to find this thing that gives us life. And when Jesus comes to us, he says, hey, you need to give me that thing. Not because he's like, not because Jesus is like throwing a temper tantrum. He's like, it's me or nothing else. No, because the thing that we're drinking from is a cistern that won't hold water. It's not gonna give you life. It's not gonna give you eternal life. As a matter of fact, it's bad for you and it's killing you. And what he offers is so much better. He offers for this woman living water and tells him you need to be born again by the Spirit and, and by water. This image of God's Spirit. And Jesus in these two, John is setting up for, this, setting up for us in these two scenes that the kingdom of God is for everybody. As long as you recognize how spiritually inept you are, how in need you are, and you come and you ask, it's available it's not some idea you have to reach it's not some concept you have to attain it's this person Jesus it's available to all like just it's available to Nicodemus who's done all the right things and Jesus says all the right things that you have done have earned you nothing you need a whole new birth this woman who by societal standards has done all of the wrong things and Jesus says no it's available to you too the same way it's available to Nicodemus This new life that I have is available to everybody. It's available to the poor in spirit. He says that in one of his famous sermons. The kingdom of God is for the poor in spirit, those who know how bankrupt they are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And he offers in this new, this different life. And what he's talking about in this scene is, or in both of these scenes, is the life that comes through the Holy Spirit. And he gives this gift. When you encounter Jesus, what he gives you, what you realize is when you encounter Jesus is that it's for everybody, it's available to everybody. And then what he's talking about, what he offers us is the life in him that comes through him and then what he gives us not is eternal life, but also his spirit to live inside of us. That's the whole image that he's using of living water welling up inside of you. The Holy Spirit, God's actually, actual spirit placed inside of us to give us the power to live, to, give, to apply all the work of Christ to our lives. He gives us that and places that spirit inside of us to sustain us. And this is the thing that he gives us. And I, I love how he, how he describes it to the woman. He says, if you had asked, if you knew who I was and you had asked, I would have given you this free gift. 
That's what makes this so special. Uh, uh, I am, it was very early on in life that I realized that uh, anytime a company offers you a free gift, it is not free. There's always strings attached, right? There's always, I remember, I saved up a whole, like I ate a cereal that I did not love for a very long time to get these stamps when I was a kid, and I mailed it off, and they sent me a letter back, and they're like, sorry, can't accept cash in the mail, kid. And they didn't, they kept my money and didn't give me my stamps. I'm one of those lucky charm stamps. There's always strings attached to everything. Anytime I read something, like, hey, come in, this is a free thing, and I'm like, nah, I don't believe you. And so I think that we're naturally suspicious of the idea that what you need to come to Jesus is absolutely nothing. I think that we're just naturally suspicious of the idea that what we need is nothing. There's a, it was famously said before, the only thing that you need to receive Jesus is nothing. Few of us have it, though. We always want to bring something with us. And this free gift he offers to this woman by this well who he who came across him accidentally, providentially, and encounters this. I love this story so much because both of these characters are problematic individuals. You have this one guy who thinks everything's gonna be okay because I keep all the rules, and this one person who's probably given up on the rules. (laughs) And here's what we have to come to terms with. Yeah, that's who the kingdom of God's for. It's for problematic people who come to him and ask and say, I need this, I need life. When you encounter Jesus, this is what you find, that he gives life, he gives this gift of eternal life, this gift of himself, the gift of the Holy Spirit, freely to people who ask. That's it. You also encounter difficult things, hard sayings, right? That's one of my favorite things about these two conversations is that they're both kind of just blown away by Jesus and his, uh, hey, uh, hey, Rabbi, I, 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 obviously you're from God. Jesus is like, hey, be born again. What? How can these things be true? Like he encounters a hard saying and to her, he's like, hey, I could give you water that would spring up to you in, in eternal life. She's come to this well, the sixth hour, hottest part of the day, not a normal time to come to a well, probably in the Middle East. Uh, she's probably coming there to avoid other people, or maybe it's just that's the time of day she comes. She shows up at this well to get water, and Jesus is sitting there, and not only is he this guy sitting there, which is a weird thing to happen, but also he strikes up a conversation, which is an even weirder thing to happen, and then it gets even weirder because she asks, he asks for water, and then she says, we're not supposed to be talking, and he's like, hey, I could give you water that you could never even dreamed of, and she's like, how in the world would you do that? And he's like, trust me, I can do it. Living water that springs up, and she's like, give it to me, and he's like, go get your husband, which is a wrong way to have a conversation. And these sayings, they're so hard. And I think they're hard for a couple reasons. I think they're hard for us to follow. And I think it's true for us even today, right? Hey, it's a free gift. It's hard for us even today. And here's why. One of the reasons is because of our cultural programming. I mean, Nicodemus was culturally programmed, hey, you're doing all the right things. And Jesus, he goes to Jesus and goes, yeah, none of that matters at all. Not to be a part of the kingdom of God. 
And her programming said, hey, we're not even supposed to be talking. And he's like, hey, I need, to, I need you to break that and I need you to understand that the free gift that I offer is for all of us. It's for all of you. Anyone who comes and believes and asks, you can lay hold of this and I'm actually offering you a whole new life. I'm actually, I'm actually offering you real life, a real way to live. And he ha- says, these, and I think that we still struggle with these hard sayings. I think we struggle with the idea that God meets us in the ordinary. The natural rhythms of life, of worship and pressing the gospel into the corners of our hearts, I think that we miss that, that God works there. I think that our cultural programming says earn, 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 earn. So the idea of free gift. Yeah, I get that it's a free gift, but I'm gonna have to go to church more, right? No, free gift. I get it's a free gift, but I'm gonna need to study the Bible more, right? No, free gift. Well, I get it's a free gift, but I gotta be a part of the church and all that. Yeah, nope, no, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. Free gift for those who ask and believe. Now, don't get me wrong. When you ask and you believe and you understand who he is, those other things tend to, tend, tend to follow. But we always reverse them. I'll do these things and then I'll get this. No, you get this and as your heart changes, you'll begin to add these things. He'll begin to add these things to your life and your heart. This is how it works. When we encounter him, we encounter difficult things because of the cultural programming, the, the air that we breathe. It, it's difficult for us when he comes to us and says, just as an example of the culture that we live in today, for us, the cultural thing is difficult. And, and the different cultures encounter this differently. But, but for today, when we come to Jesus and he says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to lay down everything. And the thing that you think is most important about you, you set that aside and now I become the most important thing about you. And not only that, I have purchased you and you are mine. For us, we think, how can that be? That's a culturally difficult thing for us to believe because we are programmed to believe. We are programmed to believe that anything that we think up inside of us and do, that's the way to happiness. That's the way to, culture, to fulfillment. That's the way the culture tells us to be. And Jesus says, nope, the actual way to fulfillment and happiness is not through you living your better you, but from you dying to yourself and accepting me. That's a whole different thing. That's hard for us to accept in our culture. Not all cultures that's true of. But we also encounter hard teachings. Not hard because of what we have to do. Not because he set some kind of high bar of achievement. Uh, uh, it's a mind-altering, world-bending thing when we encounter Jesus. How can these things be true? Can anything good come from Nazareth? How can I enter into the womb again? How can you give me living water? It's hard because the promises are so big. How can they be true? So it actually becomes about faith. Us believing that he is who he says he is and he did what he said he did. Not, and here's the deal. This isn't just true when we come to Jesus and accept him the first time in this one moment. It's true in this very moment. The power that we need, the life that we need, the thing that we pursue, Jesus has said that we have the spirit living inside of us. And so when we have that relationship, when we pursue that relationship, when we listen to him, we are still and we are quiet. I mean, we live in a culture that, that, oh man, does everything it can to banish any kind of stillness and quiet. It's starting to scare me how much I hate stillness and quiet, or how much maybe a better word is afraid of, stillness and quiet. 
Because it's only in stillness and quiet that really kind of you're faced with your mortality <laughs> and your fears. So this stillness and quiet that we, he meets us in these moments and he changes us and shapes us over time in relationship with him and in relationship with others, it is mind-altering, world-bending. How can these things be true? But as we're going to find out as you follow the story, as you already know, hopefully, he's going to go and he's going to die and he's going to rise again. This woman who comes to the well, I think that it's, it's really, we have to be careful not to put too much on her. What I mean by that is, I think it's easy to go, oh, well, she's had five husbands. Like, she's make, she makes bad decisions. Don't forget this. This is a patriarchal culture, uh, and there's a reason that the New Testament is so insistent that we take care of widows and orphans. They didn't have any other options. If you were a widow, you didn't really have a way to earn so I think that we put on her like, oh, she's made a series of bad decisions. Uh, she probably understood the world and maybe the world was this way. It probably was this way. She actually needed someone to take care of her. She needed a man. And so it's probably a situation that we, we probably true that she's made some bad decisions and also terrible things have probably been done to her. Both of those things, by the way, can be true. Either way, she's ended up in this situation where she has at least two things going on in her heart. One, she's made bad decisions and two, She's been hurt deeply. That's probably what's happening based on the culture of the time. And what's crazy to me is that Jesus asks us to bring both. I need you to bring the things that you've done and the things that have been done to you. They will no longer be the most important thing about you. I will. I need you to bring the hurts that you have, the losses that you've experienced, the damaging thing that's been done to you, and I am going to teach you how deeply loved you are. That it is not the most important thing about you, but how much you are loved by the Father is. And I am the actual evidence of that and the way to that in a person. This is not a one-time thing for the Christian life. It is the way of the Christian life. It is the thing that sustains us constantly going to him and saying, I've trusted another thing. Forgive me. Give me life. I've trusted something else to give me life. Forgive me. And he does and gives us life. This is it. This is the way that we were intended to live. This is not just eternal life when we die. This is how we live even now. It's how we bring eternal life forward to the moment. It's how we bring eternal life and experience it even now. And how we live is when we bring this, like he asks her to, like he asks everybody that he encounters to, to bring the hurts, to bring the bad decisions, the sins and the rebellion, bring them to him, and he offers us something better and different, a free gift. We have to give up what we think we need to be okay. It will never satisfy you. And then it goes on and it gets into this really crazy question about worship and where you would worship. And Jesus says, it's actually in me that you're going to worship. I'm the intersection of heaven and earth. It's fascinating. But it, of course it devolves into a conversation of worship. Because that's what this is about. Worship is the thing that you give your heart to. It's the thing that you give your thought to. It's the thing that you... Well, who you are when everything's really quiet, when you're forced into moments of stillness and quiet, where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? This is the thing that is usually shaping us. This is the thing that usually we are worshiping, giving ourselves to. 
of course it devolves into that kind of conversation because Jesus says, listen, that worship, that's gonna happen in me. That worship is gonna be about me and through me and I'm going to enable you to do all of these things. I'm gonna place my spirit inside of you and it will well up to you into a spring of eternal life. So that's what we're constantly on guard for. It's not just a moment. It's the rest of our lives. We're constantly on guard with guard against what is consuming us. What consumes our thoughts, our feelings? What consumes our time? Are we giving ourselves to that? Are we worshiping another lesser thing that will not ultimately satisfy? Jesus is better. Jesus is more beautiful. This is the promise of Scripture. And what we have to do is receive. To ask and receive. Let's pray. Father, give us the courage to ask. Give us the courage to lay down our deadly doing. To find out. To ask. To consider what it is that we're, giving, we're living our life for. That we might know you that we might know you better, that you might give us life, that we might taste and see your goodness, that we might experience life. This plays out in our hearts and in our minds as you renew us, as the things that drive us to selfishness are set aside and the things that drive us towards love and pouring our lives out because of what you've done for us begins to consume us. Make us new. Hmm. Every day as we pursue life in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.